Photographs Dear future child o' mine, If you are reading this, it's because you've asked me a question that has a bit of a long story to it. I'm sure you've figured out by now, unless I've calmed down a bit from when I was in my mid-twenties, that I have a long-winded way of talking, and it takes me a bit to get to the point. This is no different. Sorry. So, I figured I'd write it all out so you can read it at your leisure, rather than listen to your old man prattle on endlessly when you thought the answer would just be, at a comedy show. But there's more to it than that, and to properly tell the story, I have to tell you how I lost my best friend. Growing up, my best friend was a girl named Shelly. She lived in the apartment next to ours, and we met while just out and about and started playing together, the way kids do, you know? I get home from school, knock out my homework, and then out our door and knock on Shelly's door, and out into the complex we'd go playing whatever games we could think of. If it was rainy or too cold or too hot, we'd play board games in her apartment or video games in mine. My parents used to joke that we would get married someday. We were eight at the time. Shelly and I became pretty close friends, and while I don't think we had any romantic feelings for each other... 25 years later, it's hard to remember. I feel like I would have remembered if there had been. We were quite close. Was she my best friend? I might go so far as to say she was. And would we have gotten married? Could I, right now, in some alternate dimension or on some other plane of existence, be married to her? Do we have kids? In-laws? Would she be an aunt to my two nieces? The answer to those is the same as the answer to the joke... What do you get if you cross a helicopter, an elephant, and a rhino? Hell if I know. Shelly and I hung out a lot that year. We built snowmen during the winter and tried to sell lemonade from a lemonade stand in the summer. We played pretend as Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was always Michelangelo. She was April, but a kick-ass April who fought the Foot Clan pretty hardcore. Life was pretty good, and I wish I could tell you that life continued that way until as in the lives of children everywhere, one of us had to move away, and we lost contact and never saw each other again, but always thought back to those perfect halcyon days and wondered, what if? But I can't tell you that. Shelley and her parents were killed in a car accident that, for once, didn't involve a drunk driver, just bad weather and worse luck. A car with bald tires went hydroplaning and smashed into them, driving them off the road and into a tree. All three killed instantly. When my parents broke it to me, I didn't understand at first. It wasn't like I was unfamiliar with the concept of death. I had had a grandparent who had died when I was five. I kind of vaguely remember him. I have a single memory of an old man grabbing me by the hair and yelling at me when I accidentally spilled some water. The only other memory I have is getting dressed up to go to a funeral and my mom explaining what was happening and why. So, death. Yeah, I knew about it, but it was a thing that happened to old people. It didn't happen to people my parents' age, and it sure didn't happen to us kids. We would live forever, and old is such a long way away. And now, death had intruded in my life in a personal and heart-wrenching way. It had come like a wind on a clear day and blown away all my little safety walls I had erected in my mind and thought would last forever. It was my first real taste of the real world, and I did not have an appetite for it. 
It was the next year when it happened for the first time. I was reading the comics in the newspaper, and when I was done with those, I kind of poked around the rest of it to see if there was anything interesting happening anywhere else. I mostly just glanced at the headlines, and many of them were adult things, politics or sports of one kind or another, or that most prolific of news stories, violent, bloody death. But there was one about a dog that had saved a child from drowning in a creek at a park where Shelley and I had been known to frequent. There was even a picture of the hero dog sitting in front of the creek, tongue lolling out, stupid idiot dog grin on his face. The child he had saved was sitting next to him, her arms around his neck, hugging him. Even as a child, I could recognize the oversaturation of sugariness with which the picture was taken. And I recognized the area. It was a place I had been several times, sometimes with Shelley, sometimes without. Just a quiet place to go and read if the weather was nice. It was shady and had two rocks that were propped against each other in just such a way that you could sit on one and lean on the other, and it was a perfect reading position. My hands didn't start shaking until I saw what was in the background of the picture. When I saw it, I couldn't look away for the longest time, afraid that if I did, I would find it was all a dream or my eyes playing tricks on me or something. I looked at the date on the paper and confirmed it was today's date. I looked down at the caption of the photo and the photographer credit and confirmed it had been taken just the day before. I looked at the photo, little four- or five-year-old girl, black curly hair, arms wrapped around a dog, possibly a golden retriever, that was grinning a stupid dog grin. And in the background, sitting on one rock and leaning back against the other, was Shelley. It was very clearly Shelley, sitting right where I always like to sit, looking right at the camera, looking right at me, and waving. I was in the dining room, finishing my breakfast. Mom was in the kitchen less than ten feet away. I quietly folded up the paper and put it on the chair next to mine, got up from my seat, slipped quietly into the bathroom, and as quietly and noiselessly as I could, threw up everything I had eaten that morning. From then on, seeing Shelley in the background of pictures became kind of the new normal. The human mind can adapt to almost any new circumstance until it becomes commonplace, and this was something that became commonplace for me. We would go on a field trip to an art museum to look at paintings from the Renaissance or the 1700s, and I would see her in the background, flying with a bunch of angels, or peeking out from behind a tree, or half hidden behind a pile of leaves. I'd flip open the newspaper, and she'd be there, in the stands, at a sports game or in a crowd greeting the president, or sitting under a tree somewhere. I'd watch a movie, and I'd see her during a panning shot, just a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo by a ghost. Only a real ghost, not a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. There would be a shot of a crowd cheering at a sports event, and she'd be in the crowd. She wasn't in every picture or every movie I watched, but she was in a lot of them. At least once a week, but probably closer to twice a week, I'd see her. Always the same age, always wearing the same clothes, always with the same smile, looking right at me. I tried to talk to my parents about it once, even showed them the picture with her in it. They didn't see her. It was something just for me. I think the weirdest one I ever saw was during my high school graduation trip to France. We took a trip out to Bayou to see the Bayou Tapestry. Many laughs were had looking over these sometimes silly drawings, 
And one of my friends even found the segment that would, in the fullness of time, become the look upon my field of fucks and see that it is barren meme. I was about three quarters of the way down it when I happened to look at a small crowd of people gathered together, and damn me if she wasn't there, standing with that group, smiling and waving at me. The artwork was small, but it was definitely her. By that time, I learned to recognize her no matter the circumstances or where I might have seen her. That was, strangely, the only time I saw her in France. She didn't appear in any of the other pictures or in any paintings or in any TV shows we watched while we were there. Just the tapestry, and then gone again. After high school graduation, and during my time in college, she would show up, and if there was no one else around, I'd tip her a little salute and greeting. She never responded. Like everything else in a photo or painting, she never moved, and even when I could catch a fleeting glimpse of her in a movie, she never moved that much. Usually just a slight hand gesture of a wave, and then she'd be gone again. It was like it took more energy to appear in a movie, so she could only be there for a short amount of time. Of course, I may just be pulling ideas out of my ass on that. I don't know the physics or metaphysics of ghosts, and if I'm entirely honest, it's possible her death drove me a little mad as a kid, and this is all a crazy delusion I've been living with all my life. If that's the case, then that's the case. It doesn't hurt anyone, and it's my own little comfortable delusion, so... She never appeared when I was with a girlfriend. I don't know if, and I understand I'm ascribing emotions to something that may or may not even be real, she got jealous and just didn't show up during those times, or if maybe she was just giving me my privacy. But any time I was with a girlfriend, in any sense, she wasn't there. And then, five years ago... Something changed. Every time she appeared, she was in the background or in a crowd, somewhere inconspicuous but always noticeable. It was the strangest lifelong game of Where's Waldo I was playing. Find the little eight-year-old girl wearing overalls and pigtails. Nothing had changed in my life. No new women, no new job, nothing major had happened. I had been coasting for a while, just... Working, coming home, playing video games, going to sleep, repeat. And she had smiled at me the whole time, and I had tipped her a salute. And then five years ago, she held up a sign. It was small, barely readable, but I could make it out. Philly Cheesesteak, September 27th, 1.45 p.m. I looked at it, looked at her. She wasn't smiling, but she did seem determined to get the point across. September 27th was two days away, and it was, conveniently, on my day off, so the time wouldn't be an issue, but why the sandwich? I wasn't a particular fan of cheesesteaks. They were a little too... thick for me. I didn't hate them, though. And for the next day or so, my mind would flick back to it, trying to figure out its meaning. I'm sure you've already guessed, but it took me a while to get there. I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't been out driving to a grocery store to pick up some food for dinner. Although, I suppose if I had missed it completely, it wouldn't really have made a difference, considering how things turned out. In my car, on the way to the grocery store, I stopped at a traffic light. I was waiting for it to change and just kind of looking around the way you do when stopped, and my eyes alighted on a small shopping center. There was a brunch place next to a laundromat, next to a daycare, next to a seamstress, next to it. I blinked, and I think I stopped breathing for a second as it all clicked. Philly cheesesteak. 
And where do you go to get a Philly cheesesteak? You go to Philly Connection. Like the one right there. It was September 26th, and I now knew where I was supposed to go and when. But why? Well, there was really only one way to find out. And so, 24 hours later, I found myself sitting in my car at 1.40 p.m. in the parking lot right next to Philly Connection. I had had a whole conversation with myself last night, and again this morning, and again on the way to Philly Connection about what I was doing and why. I even tried to find Shelly by looking at pictures, but she had stubbornly refused to show up. So at 1.44, I took a breath, stepped out of the car, and walked into the Philly Connection. The smell of flat-top cooked meat and cheese greeted me. It made my stomach tighten up, but Shelly wanted me here for some reason, so here I am. The thought flicked at me that if this was all a hangover hallucination from the trauma of her death, then what did that mean for me and my mental well-being? But I'm an old hand at avoiding thoughts like that, and I quickly changed the subject in my mind by looking at the menu board. Both the guy behind the counter and the girl in line in front of me had looked up at me as I entered. He had brown eyes, hers were green and blue. Heterochromia. Don't see that every day. Then they turned back and finished their interaction. I waited patiently, and when the girl had finished and taken her food and left, long black hair and a loose ponytail bouncing back and forth like the ticking of a clock, the guy turned to me. I ordered your basic-ass cheesesteak. No onions, no mushrooms, just meat and cheese, thanks. And while the guy cooked it up, I glanced around. A few people sitting at the tables, a couple out on a lunch date, two businessmen having a business conversation, and an old lady reading a book. A couple of pictures hung on the walls. I looked at them, but Shelley declined to put in an appearance. I waited. The guy finished cooking, wrapped up the sandwich, threw it in a bag. I paid for it and left. Got in my car, drove home. Nothing unusual, Nothing interesting, nothing that caught my eye. So what had Shelley been on about? I got home, flipped on the TV, opened up Netflix. There in the screenshot for Unsolved Mysteries, Shelley was looking at me through a window. She had a ghost of a smile on her face, but her eyes were caught in what looked to me to be mid-roll, like I had missed everything despite her best efforts. I blew her a raspberry and watched Hulu instead. Shelley took some offense at that, I think, and she disappeared for a week. When she came back, it was in a comic strip. Just a little line drawing of her in the background, but with that smirk I knew so well on her face. I smiled, seeing her, tipped her a little salute, and moved on to get fuzzy. She appeared a couple more times in different places around town, but the next time she held up a sign was about three weeks later. She decided to put in an appearance on a political billboard, of all things, Right there between the senatorial candidate and the president, she was standing and holding up a sign. Museum of Modern Art, October 20th, 3.52 p.m. Modern art? I hated modern art. I wasn't a huge fan of classical art either, or museums in general. Like, I know they have their place, and if you like them, fine, but I just don't get it. And now, here's Shelley directing me to a place I don't want to go on a weekend when it's going to be crowded and gross. Why? I asked her. She didn't respond, then the light changed and I had to go. If there's a reason, can you just tell me? She appeared on a billboard for the zoo, 
index finger pointed upward and tilted to the side as if she were caught mid-finger wag. I smiled and raised a single finger of my own at her, but in a loving, caring way. 3.45 p.m., October 20th. There I was at the Museum of Modern Art. I paid for my ticket and stepped inside, and it was crowded, all right. Lots of people come to look at a new exhibit of something, hell if I know. I walked through, looking at the paintings, some of which were good, the others of which were just random lines splattered across a canvas. I read the little plaque next to one of these. Men's Humana, the painting was called. It was created by a person named Atelier, no last name, or maybe first name, there was no way to know, given, and was painted sometime last year, acrylic on canvas. I stared at it. People came and went behind me. A few stopped to admire it and passed hushed remarks to each other, but I didn't pick up on them. I was staring at the painting, trying like hell to figure out what it was supposed to be or what it was supposed to represent. My mind flicked down multiple paths in quick succession, trying to figure it out, but after a good three or four minutes of trying to imagine the story behind the random splats and drabs of paint, I gave it up as a bad job and moved on. There were some sculptures which I appreciated, but, again, some of them were weird abstract things. There was a collection of random metal pieces all clutched together. What was that supposed to be? A walkway moved around it in a circle, along which people were walking and keeping an eye on it, so I walked around it too, and about halfway around the walkway, the pieces all came together to form the image of an elephant. I'll be fair, that was kind of cool. I continued around and into another hall of paintings, these ones a little more normal, with pictures of people and buildings and landscapes. And right there, in one of them, a picture of a lady swinging, the folds of her dress flirting with her upper thighs, was Shelley. She was smiling, and her eyes were twinkling as if she had played the greatest joke on me, but her finger was pointing to the left, farther into the museum. I went down that way, squeezing between an old couple and a young couple, past a dude in a leather jacket, into another room with sculptures on the floor and photographs on the walls. This one was a little less crowded, and I took what felt like a deeper breath than I had taken in any given instance since entering the museum. I slowly ambled around the room, looking at the photographs. I'm sure they were good photographs, otherwise they wouldn't be in a museum, but my ability with cameras has always amounted to point at thing, press button, hope, and in a photo of a guy leaning over a car with a plume of steam rising up behind him, Shelley appeared smiling and pointed to the right. I looked over that way, and my breath caught in my throat. I can't even begin to explain it, but the photograph that was on the wall, it was, it was just right, I think. I took it all in, gazing at it. It was a very simplistic photo, not much to it, it was taken at a cockeyed angle and showed a, well, a door. It was a simple wooden door with a brass handle, but it was sitting in the middle of the floor. It seemed to be in the center of a circle in which was inscribed a triangle, in which was inscribed a diamond, and the whole thing just reached in and flipped a switch inside me that I can't explain. I moved up, stepping next to a couple that were also looking at the photo. They were not in agreement. The guy was completely disinterested and dismissive, and you could tell from her responses that she was growing tired of his bullshit. I tried my best to ignore them both and just took it in. I looked for the informational plaque. It was titled Door to the Study, 
but no artist's name was given. Honestly, I don't know what it was. I must have stared at that photo for 15 minutes, just tracing the lines with my eyes, thinking about the title, where the door might lead, if it led anywhere. It was incredible. And after a while, I blinked and kind of came out of it. I turned back, wanting to see Shelley's reaction, but she wasn't in the photograph she had been in. I looked around and finally found her in the photograph by the doorway. Her head was bowed and her hand was on her forehead like I had done something stupid and she had just facepalmed herself. When I got home from my field trip to the museum, I sat down thinking about that picture, trying to figure out what had drawn me to it. After ruminating for a few minutes, I shook my head and tried to move on with my day. The image kept cropping up, though, and I kept returning to it, like your tongue when you lost a tooth as a child. It just goes in and pokes at the spot where the hard nub of enamel used to be because it feels weird and tastes weirder, and you know you shouldn't, but whoop, there goes your tongue right back in the spot. Is that what art is supposed to do? Is it supposed to affect you that way? Because I wasn't sure I liked it, and I spent a lot of the day trying not to think about it, but it was like an earworm for my eyes. I'd call it an eyeworm, but that's gross. I looked over at a picture I had taken of Paris on that trip low these many years ago, seven now, which was a favorite spot of Shelley's to appear. Sure enough, she was there. I waved at her and asked if she had any other errands she wanted me to run. Shelley didn't answer then, but two days later, she did. I had stepped out to have a bite to eat. Okay, it was a sandwich shop. Okay, it was a Philly connection, all right, back off. It had actually been a pretty good cheesesteak they made. I stepped in, ordered my sandwich, turned and surveyed the restaurant as the same guy from before cooked my food. Two college students exuding a heavy aura of first-date nerves, a guy eating alone and listening to something on his phone, and two teenage girls probably out on a day trip dropped off by their parents to get dinner and a movie for an adolescent girl's night out. Completely quiet, all normal. I turned back around, and as my eyes drifted over the restaurant, caught a glimpse of Shelley in a picture of a family laughing at something while enjoying their cheesesteaks, because, of course, there was a picture of that in there. She was sitting at a table in the background and had a sign that read, November 5th, 2.15 p.m., Gorilla Enclosure, Zoo. I stared at her, thinking about how crazy it was and how this probably was some sort of delusion brought on by Shelley's death, and none of this was really happening, and I was crazy, but I made a mental note. My sandwich order came up, I grabbed it, thanked the guy, and left. I had a little over a week before I had to be at the zoo and whatever would happen in the gorilla enclosure. If anything. Nothing had happened the last time I was at Philly Connection. That photograph still stuck in my mind from the museum, but I was thinking about it less and less every day. I couldn't see the connection. I drove home, sat on the couch eating my sandwich, and seeing Shelley in a photo out of the corner of my eye, smiling as enigmatically as ever. Remember, remember the 5th of November, I thought, as I walked into the gorilla enclosure at the zoo. I stepped in and looked around. There were a bunch of people in here, as I imagine there always are. Zoos, as I understand it, are very popular places, and the one near me was no different. The gorilla enclosure was really just a place with a few bleacher-style seats in it and a large viewing window through which you could watch the gorillas. There were little ones constantly running about, slightly bigger ones who were constantly tussling with each other, a pair that was obviously a mother and her newborn child, 
And then there was the silverback, the big guy who was just over a hill. You could just see his back humped over it as he napped. The two little ones were running around chasing each other, and then one of them rolled down the hill and bumped into the big silverback. It turns out that what I thought was his back humped over the hill was really his head, and he was actually a big fucking animal. The little one who had bumped into him darted back several feet and then went running off in the other direction to the general laughter of the crowd. I sat down to watch for a bit, waiting to see what would happen. I watched for a few minutes, just kind of letting my mind drift, watching the two little ones scamper around, climbing up a tree, then down, running up a hill and tumbling, and then getting into a little play fighting. The big silverback hadn't moved since his last appearance, and that was okay with me. I didn't really want to see the large shape of it come up over the hill. Just seeing that huge head move was enough for me. And then I smelt it. It was faint at first, then grew a little stronger, Never enough to be overwhelming, just enough to make sure you knew it was there. The unmistakable smell of juicy fruit gum. I'm not a big gum chewer, but when I do, it's juicy fruit. I knew that smell like I knew my own life story. I smiled and breathed it in, enjoying the scent. Someone had picked just the right perfume to wear today. I thought about turning and finding out who it was, but then social anxiety got the better of me and I didn't want to look like a creep, so I didn't. I sat around the gorilla enclosure until three o'clock, and when nothing happened after that, I got up and left. Took a walk around the rest of the zoo, paid a couple extra bucks to feed a giraffe a couple leaves of lettuce. I tried to pet him, but the keepers wouldn't let me, and then I went home. I stopped at a store and bought some juicy fruit gum, because why the hell not? And now, dear child o' mine, you have come along with me this far. The word count on this document tells me it's around 4,700 words so far, and there's only a little more to go. We have now come to the point where I can, with no more prattle, preamble, or procrastination, answer the question you haven't asked me yet, except you have, if you're reading this. Someone a lot smarter than me once observed that you do not know when the day will come around which the rest of your future will revolve. You'll wake up, everything will be totally cool and normal, and nothing weird happens, and then, bam, you see a scratch-off laying on the ground, and you pick it up out of curiosity, and it's one of those grand winners. Like, the big ones that cost $20, but you can win $20 million off of it, and this just happens to be that one, and you've got $20 million, and that's a welcome surprise. That day came for me on December 17th. I woke up on the morning of the 17th with no idea of what was going to happen. Everything proceeded normally. I poured a bowl of cereal, ate it while reading the paper. Between wars, pestilences, famines, and deaths, there was a story about a man who had been to every ball game that the San Diego Padres had played. There were a couple pictures of him, one at home with his Padres banner and signed balls and baseball cards, and one of him in the stands. He's holding up a sign. There are a couple of other people holding up signs. And there was Shelley holding up a sign. The Chuckle Hut, December 21st, 9 p.m., Taylor Tomlinson. Well... Okay, then. And December 21st rolled around, and I left for the Chuckle Hut, bought my ticket, and sat down at a table. It was one of those group tables, which meant I probably would have to have shared with some other group, but that's fine. I don't mind doing that. I ordered a beer, drank it, ordered another one while waiting. Looking around, there were various pictures of comics, some signed, some not, adorning the walls. Behind a picture of an Asian guy, Shelley was smiling at me and holding two thumbs up. Okay, I'm where she wants me. So, 
what's going to happen. Just as the show was about to start, this group of five people came in and sat down at my table. Two couples and a fifth wheel, which is always fun. Believe me, I've been that wheel a lot of times. The show starts, the opener comes out, does a 15-minute set, and he's all right. Nothing to write home about, but I laughed a couple of times. Then there's a break, and I look over at the rest of the table. The two couples are in conversation with each other, and the fifth-wheel girl is staring at her beer and her phone alternately. So, being more than a few beers in myself, I threw my social anxiety to the birds and struck up a conversation with her. Her name was Allie, and she was entertaining her two college roommates who had come into town. She had not been prepared for them to bring their boyfriends, and now she was playing hostess to two couples when she had gotten out of a rocky relationship a few months earlier. I could empathize with that, and did. I told her a bit about my life, working as an auto tech, to which she did the thing that people do when they find out that's a job you do. She immediately asked me about something going on with her car. I explained the best I could, but made sure she understood it was not an end-all, be-all diagnostic. I'd have to get into the gully works for that. She smiled, her eyes dipped a little, and she said maybe she could bring her car by and I could take a proper look. I agreed, and she smiled, her head dipped down again, her black hair tied in a loose ponytail slipped over her shoulder. When she looked back up at me, the light hit her green eyes in a way that I'm not sure wasn't entirely due to beer goggles, but even if it was, it's still something I'll remember forever. We talked a little bit longer, and then the headliner, Taylor Tomlinson, came out and did her act. She was funny, and maybe it was the beer, or maybe it was the company, I didn't feel so alone, and she told me later that she didn't feel so alone either, and we both really enjoyed the show. Afterwards, we talked a little bit more and traded phone numbers. She had written her name Allie with a little heart over the eye. You know, you've seen it dozens of times. Later that night, she sent me a text, and we chatted far later than we should have. I had to be up early for work, but I didn't go to sleep until almost three in the morning. At some point during that conversation, I looked over at the picture of the rolling fields of France, and there was Shelley in her favorite spot, and she was sitting down against a tree, her head tilted back, looking like the weight of the world had been lifted off her shoulders. It was one of the very few times I'd ever seen her that she wasn't looking right at me. Allie and I started dating, then we started dating, and a few years later we were engaged. We didn't keep secrets from each other, and that was how I learned that your mother has heterochromia, different colored eyes. She sometimes wore contacts to cover it up, but I always asked her not to because I thought it was super cool. Her favorite perfume was one that smelled suspiciously close to juicy fruit gum. I told her about Shelly, though she never saw Shelly, even when I pointed her out. She'd always say hello if I said she was somewhere, though. That's love, child of mine. After that night at the Chuckle Hut, Shelley never held up another sign telling me to be at a certain place at a certain time. And looking back, you can probably see what was happening. Probably saw it as you were reading it. I, however, am a dumb dummy, and your mother still married me anyway. Which, I guess, brings me to the last thing to tell you about this story. I began it by telling you that, in order to tell you how your mother and I met, I would have to tell you about how I lost my best friend. Shelley was my best friend. She died when she and I were eight years old, but for the next 24 years, she was still in my life, still saying hi and trying her best to make my life better. Ultimately, despite my dim-witted stupidity, she succeeded. 
As you know, your mother and I were married on August 26th. It was at a nice little farm-style wedding venue. I was sequestered inside an old barn while Allie and her wedding group were out taking pictures so I wouldn't see her in her dress. Yes, that's a true story. Locked in a barn. Not a joke. While I was in there, I took a look at some of the pictures on the wall, and in one of them, of course, was Shelley. This was one of the rare times I ever saw her not smiling. She was still looking at me, though, but her eyes were brimming with time-locked tears, and there was one just rolling down her cheek, frozen in place. Just this little eight-year-old girl, wearing overalls, a striped shirt, and hair and pigtails like she had looked so often when we were kids. "'Hey,' I said, and then looked around to make sure no one else was around. "'Hey, no need to cry, Shell. This is a happy day, unless those are happy tears.' They didn't look like happy tears. Her face didn't look like a happy face. "'You did this, you know,' I said. "'You got me here. "'You think I would have gone to any of those places without your pointing me to them? "'Hell no!' I felt a tear roll down my cheek. And here we are. You and me, just like always. I am so grateful to you for guiding me here. I don't know why or how, and no one would ever believe the story. <laughs> I'm not even sure Ali believes the story, but we're both happy and we're both glad to be here together on this day. Silence fell, and I kept my eyes on the picture on the small girl, softly crying. Thank you, I said again, feeling it was inadequate, but not having anything else easily to hand. I turned away from the picture and waited. A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. It was time to get this party started. I was just about to start the last walk of my life as an unmarried man when I turned back to look at the photo. Shelley was gone. I haven't seen her since.